listening to Scoreline Extra, the podcast that brings you all the best bits from the Scoreline Sports Show on KCLR every Saturday and Sunday from 2 o'clock. You can catch up, as always, online at scoreline.ie. And better still, you can subscribe to Scoreline Extra now in your favourite podcast app. It was a busy weekend of sport on Scoreline, and if we were to fit every interview into this podcast, it would probably be over six hours long. So here are some of the best interviews from this past weekend. Donny Butler joined Shane O'Keefe to discuss the rich soccer history in Kilkenny dating back to the 1800s. Uh, Rugby community officer Noel Devlin gave us an insight into his role with Leinster Rugby and how he's working with schools and Carlow Rugby Club and Kilkenny Rugby Club. All-Ireland winner Grace Walsh looks back on Kilkenny Camogie's historic victory over Galway in 2020. She's also nominated for Senior Player of the Year in this year's Camogie Association Awards. Uh, But first, we have Carlow goalkeeper Brian Tracy, who was named along with teammate Chris Nolan on the Joe McDonough Team of the Year. Delighted to be joined on the line by one of the men named from the Carlos side in the Joe McDonough Cup Team of the Year. From Navon and obviously Carlos GEA, Carlos Hurling Team, uh, we have Brian Tracy. Brian, thanks very much for joining us here. Shane, how are you? Thanks very much for having me. I'm not too bad, sir. I'm not too bad. Um, between yourself and Chris, it must be a great compliment to be able to get onto the Joe McDonough Cup Team of the Year. Yeah, it's uh, it's luxury. It's a lovely. It's a nice little personal award at the end of the year to to get. Uh, you know, it's nice to be noticed. Um, with these awards, they're they're nice personal achievements. Uh, you know, for for any for any player to get at any at any level. And speaking of personal achievements, it, it is always nice. But then from the whole team perspective you know was it a disappointing uh, run last year for yourselves yeah look it's it was look 2020 wasn't wasn't the year we we uh when we when we found out that that it started at 20 uh at the start of the year it wasn't it wasn't what we thought it would be we we established we uh we thought it would be a bit better than than what we what it, what it uh, turned out to be but look we we had a very couple of close games against Antrim and Kerry there um you know, it went right down to the wire, and unfortunately, we just came out the wrong side of them. Um, and look, sure, Kerry and Antrim ended up in the in the final. Like so, there, there wasn't great. There's not a there's never a whole lot on any given day between any any of those teams. You know, you throw ourselves Westmead, Kerry, Antrim, in, um, you know, uh, Meath, and then Kildare and Down, who are coming up this year as well. Like you know, there's there's there's, there's never there's rarely any anything be, between us all on, on any given day. You know, it's just coming down to. You know, look look at the end of the day really and unfortunately we didn't have much um the last day last year with, with against both teams. Yeah, it was it was kind of when we were talking to Sean Campion before he stepped down and uh, Jim Bulger took over, he was saying that um there might have been rumblings about Colum himself stepping down and then obviously with some of the draws and, and losses, you know, that might have helped vindicate his decision. Was there any Sentiment shared amongst the team that this may have been Columns last year, or were you surprised when you heard about the the news that he stepped down? Um, I know. Well, look, I wouldn't say there was any. You know, we didn't. I suppose we were just focused on the year um, in hand, and you know, like we didn't. We never really thought as a team or anything like that. We never. You know, it's not something that you'd speak about, um, or or you know that that uh, the rumors like you know it never really go around the dressing room. You're you're always focused on the game. Um, and look, it was like four years for any for any for any uh, manager um, in in any role is is a good is a good period of time. Um, and look, Colin, like you, like Carlo Harlan, Colin has brought on Carlo Harlan um, to a new level in the last since he took off since he was there in, in 2017. The four years he was there, like he, I think we won 
five, four, five. Tro- or, sorry. Yeah, yeah, the, the Christie Ring like, Division Two oh. A League title. Did Joe McDonough obviously in two thousand and eighteen. You know, was, he's leaving behind a good legacy. Yeah, we did like, and I suppose the, um, you know we 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 were we got up to Division One as well. You know, which was a, which was a, a big a big achievement for for Carlo Harland to be at the top table there in the National League for for uh, for two years, and probably one of the most probably one of the most epic battles we had in in that period of time was probably against Offaly in in a relegation battle up in up in Tullamore where we were. Found ourselves eleven points down at half time and and and, and managed managed to pull it out of the bag and and win by win by a couple of points that day and you know which was um you know like there was a, there was a lot an awful lot of good things happened when Colin when Colin was over um you know so it he was he was he's very highly regarded and he's a he's a fantastic manager. Obviously, GEA is well heralded amongst the the Carlow community. Without having the crowd there for playing the games, did that have an effect on you at all? Um, were, were you conscious of that, or when you're playing the game, does it does it kind of go to the wayside? You know, when you're when you're drawing certain games or when you're down, having a crowd behind you can spur you on. Did, did that have an effect this season? Yeah, look, it's, it, it was very um, surreal. Like you know, it it was hard to. You know, but it was the same. I suppose it was the same for every team. So you know, you couldn't really use it as a, as as a, as an excuse, really, or, or a, a talking point either. Because at the end of the day, both teams were in the same boat. Yeah. Um. So like, it 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 was something. You know, it it was it was very strange. Um. But I suppose when you're in the thick of it, in the action on the field, you know, all that goes out of your head, and you're just focused on on the game, really. At the end of the day, so like it was. I suppose it would have been. A, it was a telling factor, but. At the end, like you know, when you're on the field, you don't really take any of that in into consideration. You're kind of just focused on on the job in hand. And and then going from then, column and going to the announcement of Tom Mullally. Um Tom Mullally is very well known in in Carlo GEA circles. Uh, a positive appointment. It was something that you were quite happy with yourself. Have you been in touch with Tom at all? Yeah, look, it's it's a fantastic appointment. Look, we all know we all know the CV that that Tom that Tom has coming into the coming into the role. Um, you know, he's he's uh, he's fantastic achievements um, under his belt with with club teams and county teams um, across across the country. Um, and look, he he has been in touch. Look, we were the, we have been we have been talking. He's touched base with with many of the players. Um, and you know, he has he's he has his background team, and that's laid out there. So. Um, but look, it's, it's a fantastic appointment in terms of Carlo Harland, where where he needs to go. Um, I think I think he's the he's the right man. He's the right man to steer to steer the, steer the ship. And then I suppose that there's obviously a drive then shared amongst it. I know that you don't get to be amongst each other with the the classification of non-elite sports and uh, and stuff like that. And we know that you're meant to be back on January the 15th, so you don't really have to have this kind of camaraderie around each other and share the goals for the season. Albie, you can do it in a in an internet sense, but uh, is the goal then obviously crucial for Carlo Hurlers to be aiming for the promotion from Division Two? Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's it is. It's uh, um, I suppose like we haven't like like that. Like you said, we haven't got a chance to sit down really yet as a as a group and um, and sit down and, and, and establish what what our goals are for for twenty for the for the coming season of twenty twenty one. Um, whenever we do get back playing, I suppose our main goal at the minute is to is to get back on the field training together and in a in a fit and healthy way and maintain that and just take it game by game. Really, is will be will be the you know will be the start of it. Um, and that's all you can do is take it game by game. You can set long term goals and short term goals, but effectively it's it's, it's a game by game um, you know scenario. And that's that's how we approach. That's really how we approach uh, 
most most of our our, our games and and our years, um, you know, as, as a county team. Are you expecting something different from Tom at all? We know that when uh, Niall Carew took over from Turlo, that uh, there was a bit of a difference in style of play. Uh, has Tom kind of shared anything with the um, in, those amongst the, the the circle? You know. Yeah. Well, look, it's every every manager will bring his his own style of play and bring his own approach to the to the game. Shane, he definitely will. Like um, you know, and but look. Um, unfortunately, with the current situation, we haven't, you know, none of that has been spoken about yet. Um, you know, really, that stuff won't really um, come to the table until we actually get back on the ta- on on the field uh, of play and and start start working on start working on a couple of ideas and and um, you know game plans that that Tom will have and Tom will definitely have his idea and he'll he'll have watched back all of the games um, in the last couple of years and seen how we played um, and he knows Carl like that. He knows Carlo Hurland extremely well, um, so like he knows he has he has a good idea of what what he has what he has to uh, to, to go to the go to the trenches with. Yeah, and he's a good idea. The club game as well, obviously being very successful back in two thousand and thirteen. From your own club perspective, how did you did, did you find playing uh, before you're getting into the inter county stuff? Did did you enjoy it? And would it be the worst thing to happen if 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 the same kind of schedule was to be followed in twenty twenty one? Yeah, well, look, I think I think um, I probably share the same opinion as as probably nearly every every player in the country that probably last year, as from a club perspective and playing with your with your clubmates, it was definitely one of the most enjoyable um, years um, that that I had anyway. Playing playing with the club, getting to train with them as often you know as often as we did, um, you know, because it's, it's not easy in in a normal in a normal year. You know, you're 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 so you know you're 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 giving everything to the county um, set up, and you know you're, you're you're focused on that. And then normally, when you have two or three weeks to come back with um, and join the club team, uh, and, and get you know just get the feel for for what the club manager is trying to do, and the coaches there are. But definitely this year, I think was even though we we were beaten in the semi final by by Mountain Rangers, um, you know, as a, from a training perspective and a kind of a you know, with training with your with your teammates, um, the lads you go up with, it was uh, you know it was fantastic to to do. And it, does it help bring on your teammates then as well? Because when we were talking to Eugene Clunan and we were talking to Owen Larkin there recently, they were kind of saying the the difference you know it's quite big between inter county and club. But like if you have more inter county players involved in the club scene for a longer period of time, it it, it no doubt beneficial then for the club going forward. Oh, absolutely! Look, absolutely. I think, I think um, you know, without without doubt, that that's uh, that's going to happen. You know, the uh, yeah, the standards. You know, no, no disrespect to the club game or anything like that, but you know, like you said, the the, the standards that that the county players bring, um, you know, uh, and the level that of intensity, you know, it does it definitely rises. Um, you know, and the more people, you know, like you know, the more players you have in in the club in the in the in in the club pitch training. Um, you know, the better if you have your full team there, you can work on things. It's very hard for club managers to work um, on a game plan or a setup or a system, or you know, work on any specific like puck outs or anything like that. When you don't have, if you're short five or six players, you know, from from that are in with the county setup and you're down training, you know, realistically, it's very hard for for a club manager to to do anything in terms of setting up games. Um, you know, um, setting up games or uh, Working out on on how you set up for for a club match or, or a club team. 
we, we started off the interview talking about from a personal perspective getting on the Joe McDonough Cup team of the year from a, but going back into the personal side of things is, is it tough not being able to get together then with the, with the teammates um, like I, I, I'm sure you're craving the opportunity to do so yeah look it's, it's definitely look we were it was kind of a it was a bit of a kick in the teeth um, that the announcement came out last week about the, the county players not being classed as, a, as an elite um, we were taken out of that category and, and knowing that you know, we were kind of hope we were hopeful on a as a, from from a, a personal level and a team. You know, from a team uh, aspect of things, that we were hopeful. Right, the fifth of March, we might have a chance of getting back on the field, training in groups. Because at the end of the day, it's a team sport, and you know, you can do all the individual training you want, and you can train as hard as you want. But it's a team sport, and when you're training in a group, and um, no matter whether it's running or for a ball or whatever it is, whatever the whatever you're doing in training, you know. The competitive side comes out in you, and you know the, the lad beside you, the lad to your left or right, is going to drive you on, and you're going to do the same to him, um, and you just get the most out of everybody. And then going forward, then is it like I'm sure there's WhatsApp groups and everything set up between different Carlo players, and obviously a club and a county one as well. Is there this kind of feeling that? you're raring to go because it, it's hard to turn on and off the switch you know to keep up to that fitness that is required in inter-county level the, are you spurring each other on and be like you know you, I, I can run a 5k in this time or I'm doing this and that and is, is that helping keep the whole kind of morale going or is it a case of you're pr- purely just kind of having to do this on your own yeah like it's it's, it's, it's a tough one like, like you know every, every, every county team is in the same boat at the present time and, you know, and they're doing as much as they can um, you know, every player, every county player is doing as much as they can at the minute to to keep their to keep their fitness levels up, keep everything you know um, as at a higher level as possible. Whether it's uh, lifting weights at home or doing home workouts, body weight, or doing your runs within your within your five k. Um, you know, it's it's you know it's hard it's hard to keep it going, but at the same time, yeah, you have to like it's it's encouraging to see lads. Um, doing doing the work um, and, and it does it like it, it definitely helps it definitely helps you know every individual to see that okay everybody else is doing it so you know I'm going to drive on and do it as well it, it's it's as good as it's going to get at the present time without being in it, without being in the field you know <laughs> yeah uh, going back just a bit to the club perspective Nave Owen haven't won the the, the Carlos Sears Championship since uh, 2005 you know so it's a, a bit of a drought we're looking at 16 years and then obviously the advent of uh, St Mullins doing so well Mount Leinster Rangers winning it last year and they're kind of dominating proceedings in the past while how how is the gap going to be bridged uh, between all these sides um, you know Ballinkillen now have Owen Larkin so that's kind of like a, a setting up a statement for themselves they haven't won since 2001 how are you going to bridge that gap between the likes of St Mullins and Mount Leinster Rangers yeah look it's, it's, it has been like you said it's a drought um, you know it's probably it's the longest period of time that the club has went without a senior title um, since they were established so um, it is It's it, look there's nothing there's nothing only um, not going to bridge the gap only hard work um, and look Mount Leinster Rangers and St Mullins have set that standard in the last you could say in the last ten years of that, um, you know they've they've been, you know they've done very well, even not in, not in not inside the county but outside the county as well. Um, you know they've they've done extremely well reaching Leinster finals and that as well, um, and and taking some big big clubs down on on, on their journeys as well. Um, but look, there's no there's no replacement for hard work. You can have all the skill um, and all that. You know you can have you can have everything, but if you're not willing to work hard um, and do and do the dirty work and go to the trenches. 
you know it's not going to it's not going to happen for you um, and that's 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 all you can do to, to, to bridge that gap it's, it's hard work and trying to work the team that you're playing against well, Brian, thanks for taking the time for talking to us today on this uh, Saturday afternoon. Now, some people would say, well, I have not better to be tuned considering the certain situations, but I really appreciate it as well. And congrats on the Joe McDonough uh, team of the year as well. And uh, hopefully you, you take immense pride in it. Yeah, look, thanks very much. It's Like like you said, there's there's not much else to be doing, which, uh, especially when it's wet as well. You can't even go for a walk. But uh, <laughs> no, look, it's, it's very much appreciated and, uh, and I appreciate the time. Next up, we hear from Tullerone club woman Grace Walsh as she takes a look back on Kilkenny Camogie's historic victory over Galway in the 2020 All-Ireland and what comes next. Joining me on the line now is Grace Walsh, uh, fresh off an All-Ireland victory and now nominated to be in the team of the year. Grace, thanks very much for joining us here on Scoreline. No problem. Thanks very much for having me, Shane. How are you? <laughs> I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. First of all, it's been a great year in terms of sporting accolades for the Walsh family. You know, four siblings winning two All-Irelands. Absolutely, yeah. Um, definitely a, a happy household um, at home this year. But, um, yeah, you know, it was good for the lads. I suppose the start of 2020 uh, winning the club All-Ireland. That was just out of this world. Uh, kind of felt like I was on the pitch myself that day was just so happy um, and I suppose it was nice to finish off the year then with with the win for myself so yeah, it was always going to be a Walsh who done it was the uh, commentary from Oshin Langan at the end of the game. Um, but going on into a more personal thing, first of all, congrats on your Player of the Year nominee. On a personal, was 2020 your best year in a Kilkenny jersey to date? Um, yeah, well, I, I suppose I've had many, uh, many good years in the Kenny jersey, many enjoyable years in the Kenny jersey. Um, 2016, I suppose, would have been would have been um, a good one. We had and Downey back as manager, and and we won the All Ireland after waiting for 22 years. Um, so that was a nice one. But I suppose on a personal note, I wasn't playing in that final. So I think 2020 with the year that we had as a country. Um, it was definitely a, a special one and I suppose one that we'll never forget. So 2020 would probably be my number one, I suppose. <laughs> uh, looking back on 2016 and then obviously all the finals that came up after it and not getting over the line at the last hurdle, was there an overwhelming sense of relief and just kind of ecstasy when the final whistle went against Galway in 2020? Yeah, I would definitely, definitely go with um, ecstasy there on that one. It was just pure joy and, and happiness, that final whistle. Um, Jeannie Mack, it was, it was an incredible feeling and there were tears of, of, of happiness, I think, from from a lot of girls that day. Um, it was it was just such a, a special time and, and I know there was no crowd or no family there, but it kind of nearly made it all, all the more special for us just to be together as a team and, and I thought, take it all in and, and enjoy the moment but definitely pure ecstasy at the, at the final whistle just just, just in terms of no crowd being there was that a bit of an eerie sense or because you're just so focused on the game does that kind of fall to the wayside because obviously you know having a crowd there that generally can help you spur you on having so many people kind of shouting and, and roaring for you to get over the line um, was that did that ever come into play when you're playing? Is it eerie being out in Crow Park in such a vast, big stadium and not having your supporting crowd there? 
Um, I, I actually probably thought it was a, a little bit easier. We could hear each other a lot more. Um, during my first few years playing for Kenny, going out with the with the massive crowd and I suppose the cameras and everything, it was a little bit daunting um, at the beginning. But I suppose as the years go on, you kind of learn um, how to deal with a crowd and and, and all that. Um, so this year was was definitely a little bit different. But we we actually have had experience of an empty Croke Park before. I think it was it was my first ever game um, playing in Croke Park, and it was it was a league match against Dublin, and it was kind of just for the promotion of the game. So there was no crowd there that day. It was, it was purely just the two teams and an empty Croke Park. So it was it, it was something we we've done before. Um, it was definitely different, but but I can't say that that I didn't enjoy it. And you mentioned there that you can hear your teammates a bit more. You can hear instructions. Uh, obviously, instructions come from the manager. What is it that Brian Dowland brought to the team this year in particular that helped you reach the pinnacle of the sport? Um, I suppose for Brian, he was with us last year um, as a selector with, with Anne Downey as manager. And so he had a year there where, where he was able to learn a lot about the team and get to know us and probably probably was able to see where we doubted ourselves or, or where we need to improve. And he probably sat with that in the off-season and, and tried to come up with a bit of a plan. And, you know, Brian, uh, as good as he is, he had an incredible backroom team around him, all the lads and, and, and the women that were there. Do you know, as a group, um, do you know, they just instilled a belief and a confidence in us this year that I suppose we kind of went out in the final and, and we knew we had what it, what, what it takes to win um, and that's kind of what happened. Um, I suppose all of our backroom team have been there and they've done it. Um, I suppose they inspired us. They, they, they know what it's like, you know, as players. Um, so I suppose they were able to bring that element um, as coaches um, and just the pure passion and desire that they had for the game rubbed off on us this year. And, and I think that's, that, that's kind of what, what got us over the line. And with passion and desire, is it enhanced by the situation that the whole country finds itself in? Obviously, the intermediate team um, didn't get to, to, to have their day, either the minor team. Does that play in your mind when you're going into training? Does that help focus? Is that a bit more of an incentive going into training? And does that add a bit more extra bite then going into the games, considering that the senior team gets to play and then other teams don't, and then maybe other disciplines of sports don't get to play? Absolutely. Um, one of my best friends from home, Ashton Kirsch, is the captain of the intermediate team. And I suppose all those girls were just so disappointed to, to not get to play. And, and it was very unfair. I don't really understand. I don't understand why they didn't get to play um, as well as us. So I think this year, every girl on, on the senior panel just knew how lucky we were to be out there um, to get to train together and get to play Um so I think we just felt very lucky and and we allowed ourselves then to just enjoy it. Um, and I think that, that was a huge factor. It, with the going in then into the championship, you were quite comfortable in the group stages and you won all the three games that, that you were playing. But then, you know, you come up against Cork and Cork are, have been notoriously such a big rival to Kilkenny over the years. And then you defeat them in the semi-final. Does that add extra belief then going into the final against Galway? Like, did, does the panel know that the team were at a different level this year than than you previously were because Cork has previously stopped you in different iterations of the championship? Absolutely, I suppose it has a part to play. But we played Cork in our last league game, and 
like we gave a shock and display is probably the only way to describe it um, back in March in 2020 and I think we were disappointed and, and we knew that we hadn't you know, put ourselves out there and shown what we were actually capable of so I think in the group stages we hadn't got any challenge matches before that it was just our in-house training game so we were able to learn I suppose how to play together again in those games and, and we had to win every one of those games so we had to be able to adapt very quickly to any situation that, that that occurred in any of those games. So I think we learned a lot about ourselves um, as individuals and as a team. Um, and I think it's fair to say, I could speak on behalf of all of the girls on, on the panel, that every single person was delighted that we got Cork in the semi-final. And I think if you want to be the best team, you have to play the best and be able to beat the best. And I think... We were all just so gunning for that game. Um, I suppose you could even see it. You know, we were down by a good a good bit after the first ten minutes, and just shows what what the the management team have brought to it, and and you know that belief that they instilled in us, like came out that day because we were down by so much, and we were still able to claw our way back, just keep tipping over and and get over the line. So I think after that day, we performed so well that we knew that this was probably the year we were going to pull it out of the bag and perform to to, to what we're capable of. Um, so I think beating Cork in their home ground, it was it was a very nice victory to get. Um, and I think it really benefited us going into the final against Galway then. So with that belief then, does, say, being underdogs kind of help you going into it? Because you know what it's like within the camp. And there's certain critics then saying that Kilkenny won't be able to go over the line. You're going up then against the All-Ireland champions in Galway. Does that help, uh, or did that help, having a bit of a, a history of faltering at the at the finish line and then being underdogs going into this? Knowing the belief that you had in the camp, did that did that help knowing that there were some critics out there? Yeah, well, I, I suppose in terms of critics, you know, we don't owe them anything um, as a team. Um, so I suppose we we weren't really going out to, to prove a point to them. It was kind of just to ourselves um, of, to prove how, how good we actually can be because the belief that we had this year, we, we knew what that we had what it, what it took to, to get over the line. And um, I, I just think it, was, it wasn't for anybody else. It was for ourselves... Um, to get over the line and and you know that belief definitely helped um, getting over Cork but I think of all teams we know better than to be overconfident um, so I think we were confident going in against Galway but we weren't overconfident where we thought you know all we have to go out all we have to do is, is go out on the pitch and play like we knew that we had to put in a massive performance to get over the line and, and come out on top that day Um so I think the belief helped, um, but what it what it didn't do was make make us overconfident, and um, we were we were kind of just the right amount, I think. And day. and then going from that, going from the ecstasy of winning the final, and then you may have been going straight into training with January fifteenth being touted as a return to inter-county setup. And then last week it was announced that all GA sports, including Camogie, have lost their elite status for the moment at least. So do you, do you have an opinion on that? I know a lot of inter-county managers and players have, have called it disrespectful to all the work that's been put in throughout the year. We spoke to Niall Carew last week, who was the Carlo football manager. He kind of felt like it was a bit of a smack in the face. I know considering the circumstances, it's it, it, it can be understandable if some sports are curtailed. However, 
losing that elite status, is that an annoyance? Um, do you know, I, I wouldn't say it was insulting in any way. Um, at the end of the day, we're not a professional sport. And I suppose the government, you know, they, they have to think about the health and, well- and well-being of, of the people of Ireland. And I suppose we all have, have our, our day-to-day jobs as well. Do you know, myself, I'm working in a hospital. There are other people that can't work from home. So I suppose... In terms of that, you know, you have people that are going into work, meeting a lot of people, might be meeting a lot of people, then going home to their families, then going training. Um, so I suppose that numbers being so high, um, I wouldn't be, I, I'm obviously disappointed that, that I can't go and train with the team. I'd love nothing more than to do that. But I just think for the sake of an extra few weeks or a couple of months, you know, we are going to get the day where we get to go and train and play our championship. Um, I just think waiting a few more weeks or a couple of months um, is not going to harm any of us. Whereas if we don't wait, it might put somebody else's you know, health or, or life at risk. And, and I don't think that anybody wants that. So it is really disappointing. I would love nothing more than to be going home and training with the girls instead of training in this crap weather up here in Dublin on my own. Um, but I just think it will be worth the wait just like it was last year, um, just just for pu- the, the, the health and and well-being of, of other people, um, I suppose. So, so for me, um, I, I don't think it's disrespectful, really. I think that the government are there for a reason and, and they have to put people's lives um, first and, and their health number one, so... Yeah, well, it's great to get your perspective on things. Obviously, working in a hospital as well, you would, you're all operating nearly at ground zero. Um, so it's it's nice to hear a, a different perspective on things from someone within the GEA community. In, in terms of um, how the season was different last season, we spoke to your team at Colette Armour before the final last year, and she said, "See, <laughs> I'm having trouble saying this." She said uh, that uh, she was a big fan of getting to play with the club before the intercounty season began. How did you find the change in? Calendar? Do you or do you like playing in the winter in Kilkenny? Yeah, well, I actually do kind of enjoy playing in the winter once it's a bit slower, so <laughs> it's not too bad. But um, in terms of the club, this year was definitely my favourite year playing at my club um, in a very long time, and I'd definitely be with Colette on that. Um, I suppose for for us as Kilkenny home players, for a good few of us, we've got to the last what five or six All Ireland finals. Um, so you're getting to the furthest stage and then whether you win or you lose you, you're playing your club championship only one week later um, so you haven't trained with the girls all year You've, your club club mates that have trained together all year then you're coming after not training with them you're taking some some, some girls place that has been training you know all year um, and I suppose you're, you're going out and you're expected to be one of the best players because you're on the inter-county team um, whereas this year we we were able to train with the club for weeks and for myself I was able to train with my cousin Murray and my best friends that I've grown up with um, and it was just so enjoyable and one thing that I was able to get from it as well was the work uh, Brendan Carl is our trainer and Ned Fenley was our manager and we were actually able to see the amount of work that they, they put in behind the scenes you know, before coming down to training and, and the effort that they put in to make the trainings enjoyable for the girls. Um, so I suppose this year, going down, being able to train with your teammates for a good few weeks before the championship and then going out and 
them being used to playing with you and you being used to playing with them, it was so much more enjoyable. We we didn't get to where we wanted to be as a club, but I think I can speak for myself and Murray and say that we definitely felt like this year we were finally able, able to give back to the club. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't be a county player without your club. So I thought that it, it was unbelievable. And, and I think actually it was a huge factor in our success as a Kilkenny team because going back to the club this year, I just fell in love with Camogie again. And I, I found why I played the game. And I think that a lot of girls did the same when they went back to their clubs and that energy then was brought back into the Kilkenny setup when we were back training as a Kilkenny team and everyone was just buzzing to be back after getting to play with their clubs again and I suppose we, we knew how lucky we were so um, I would definitely be for the club first and getting to train with your clubs first um, and just you know club hurling and camogie is, is totally different to when you're playing at inter-county level um, uh, so it was definitely it's definitely something I'd be for and something I enjoyed in 2020. Yeah, we enjoy we enjoy covering it here as well. It was uh, it was fascinating to kind of to, to be involved in it from a commentary perspective. Uh, looking ahead, just over two weeks, March sixth, um, we'll have our Camogie Player of the Year. You're up against the team at Denise Gall. I'm sure there'll be no animosity, uh, depending on who will win, <laughs> unless it doesn't go to someone from Kilkenny. Um, so we know you're up against Sean Healy as well. So um, yeah. we wish you nothing but the best. And as I said, I, I hope there's no animosity between yourself and Denise, no. depending on who. No. I was, I was only talking to Gall there yesterday about it, and uh, we were laughing. For me personally, it was it was a big shock now to even be nominated. To be honest, um, Gall had an incredible year, but we we had said if Shawnee Healy gets it, uh, we'd still be happy enough because we have what we want. Um, we have the All Ireland medal this year, so you know whatever way it goes, um, I think we'll just be happy for whoever gets it. So. A very diplomatic answer from yourself, Chris. <laughs> well, uh, we wish you nothing but the best and uh, obviously keep safe o- up in Dublin. Uh, you mentioned that you're out there training on your own. Is that a directive from Brian or is it your own initiative going out there? I know, sure. The lads, they've given us a lot of stuff that, you know, we were doing like training, specific training for the first couple of weeks. But then when, when we knew we weren't going back for another while, you know, they've given us kind of a, a bit of a break, given us loads of ideas and, and drills and, and running to do as an option but not putting any pressure on us um, which I think is great and I think it was a huge factor for us last year as well with the, the, the break that is the world of good um, so we, we have a, a few plans and stuff in place there so it's it's nice to have the options um, not so nice train outside in that rain on your own <laughs> but look uh, hopefully it'll be worth it uh, well we're looking forward to whenever it, um, it's seen you all back out on the pitch again it'll be a pleasure and hopefully there's some good news coming Kilkenny's way come March 6th not that we didn't have our fill of good news with the All-Ireland yeah. win Grace thanks very much for taking the time of day thanks very much Shane thanks for having me Turning the attention to rugby without having a look at the Six Nations, community officer Noel Devlin joined Scoreline at the weekend to give us an insight into his role with Leinster Rugby. It'll be paradise being out on a rugby pitch today. I can assure you the ground would be soft, but the playing would be hard. It'd be great, boy. But uh, joining me on the line now is Noel Devlin, community officer with Leinster Rugby. Noel, thanks very much for joining us here on Sunday Scoreline. 
Shane. Thanks very much for the invite. Hey, absolute pleasure. Um, we love we love covering all things rugby here. Um, we'll be talking to Chris Pym just a bit later on as well in regards to the Six Nations. So we're not going to deal with the Six Nations or we're not going to really deal with the, how Leinster are getting on or the Pro 14 or anything like that. We're kind of going to look at a local aspect. And uh, just in regards to the club community, being the club community rub, rugby officer at Leinster, what does that exactly entail? I suppose, Shane, my role as a club community rugby officer in Kilkenny and County uh, is to deliver an all-inclusive tab- tag rugby programme designed by Leinster Rugby for the schools and uh, the various community organisations and clubs throughout the year and for everybody to be involved, have a bit of fun, keep active and to take and learn something from the programme. I've been involved with Leinster for the past seven years now, so it's, it's, it's really going very well and uh, the schools have been very accommodating in the county. And considering now the times that we're in, how difficult has it been during the, say, various lockdowns to, to really promote the game around the different communities? Mm. Yeah, in all fairness now, it hasn't been, been bad at all as a rugby season starts in September and I've been doing the various uh, summer camps there uh, over the past uh, couple of years there, but we've been doing them during the summer months down in the, in the various uh, clubs throughout the county. And uh, look, I've been in the schools uh, and leading up to Christmas, before Christmas, I would have been in 12 schools a week. So you're roughly seeing around 1,500 kids a week, uh, both primary at secondary level and all around the county. But uh, look, due to the current lockdown, I wouldn't have been able to attend the other schools. Then after Christmas, another 19 schools had booked in after Christmas. So due to the lockdown and COVID, unfortunately, but we, we weren't able to, to reach them, like, you know. Yeah, it's definitely been difficult to be active oh, in schools, I'd imagine. Shane. Yeah, it's been very difficult, like, you know, but look, we'll just, we'll just get on, we'll get out there and we'll, we'll keep it going, as the fella says. It, is it worry? Because we've, we've talked to different kind of disciplines in sport about players missing out on crucial stages of their development from a young age, but is it worrying that, say, Leinster and Irish rugby could potentially missing out on some promising young stars due to the pandemic? Yeah, good point, yeah. yeah. It's unfortunate that we're not in the schools, but look, I've been in the, in the schools for the past seven years and, and whatever in the club for the past 20 years and would know the majority of the pupils in all the schools pretty well. Any of those that would have taken up rugby uh, would have been encouraged to join the club and if anybody shows potential, they get screened and put forward for development. And they initially start with the southeast and then progress then up into uh, Leinster uh, development and uh, Ireland, uh, hopefully Ireland, uh, under 18s and, and 20s. And all of the players that start off, they go down to, uh, they start off in the southeast areas, uh, development, uh, and they get screened down there, and they just go through the various different stages and go through a summer programme. But they, they actually do very well now, in all fairness. And they're, at the moment, they're, they're being kept in the loop, they're being monitored. They're doing various different uh, Zoom classes and things like that, like, you know, so they're, they're, they're not going to be let go. <laughs> As the fella says, they're, they're going to be closely watched. And look, if a, if a player, it's all down to the player at the end of the day, and if the player himself wants to go ahead and do it, Leinster will definitely provide him with the, the tools and the expertise to do it, like, you know. I just got a text message in there from my father and he doesn't normally message me but he's always listening in and he says it's great to hear Noel on your show he's a great rugby man and a lovely gentleman as well so uh, I, lovely. I don't know lovely if you know Eric, Thanks, Eric. I know oh you do in his own mind yeah. in, in his own mind yeah. uh, from a local perspective then uh, are you involved with Carlo Rugby as well or how involved are you with the Kilkenny Rugby Club in your job? This is how it works out. There's uh, 60 CCROs, 
So there's 60 club community rugby officers in Leinster across the 12 provinces. So I wouldn't be involved in, in Carlow because they would have their own uh, separate uh, club community rugby officer. So I'm very, very, very involved with Kilkenny Rugby Club and have been for the past 20 years since my two sons decided to take up the game. I'm currently coaching the under-16 boys team uh, with 43 players currently in that squad. Uh, Look, I would have coached various teams the whole way through from under-7s to under-19s over a 20-year period, both boys and girls. And my role as a CCRO for the club keeps me very busy, along with the very successful team discos that I run and I'm missing terribly. So I am, I'm, 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 very, I'm very busy. I'm, I, lo- I, I actually love the club, like, you know, it's a, it's a great place, a great environment to be involved in, like, you know. Yeah, and it'll be truly kind of missed during these times as well, just having that camaraderie around it. Um, I know you've been quite active, though, on social media. You're kind of issuing challenges amongst other things. Mm-hmm. Have you found yeah. that it's important then to keep in touch and remain active in some capacity yeah. for rugby people within that community? Yes, yes. We've been asked by the bosses up in, in Leinster to keep active on social uh, media as we're not out in the community as much. So along with the various courses, etc., we've been asking the kids to challenge themselves, keep active and have a bit of fun with the various skills uh, that we are challenging them to do. And hopefully they'll be able to bring that back into the club when, when we eventually do return. Like Because it is challenging during these times uh, on the children and some of them can't adapt. So look, it's, it's, it's nice, nice to get out there, put a little, little tweet out there and, and, and see how the response is absolutely unbelievable now at the moment, like, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's it's great to see that, um, especially for younger people, you know, to have a goal and to be involved in something like that, it, it's great. Mm-hmm. And a large part of what you do involves working with the clubs, the schools, the community groups to kind of deliver tailored rugby programmes, expand the game of rugby within the clubs, the schools mm-hmm. of the province. And uh, Have you found that there's a greater interest in rugby from the younger people today than may, maybe when you kind of started playing or when yeah. you got involved 20 years ago with Kilkenny Rugby Club? Yes, Shane, there's a, a massive interest in rugby from when I played at 13 years of age. So uh, the one thing that rugby offers that no other sport can offer is that rugby is a sport for all. No matter what size, shape, height, weight you are, there's always a position on a rugby pitch for you. You know, you will find that all kids will play multiple or an array of sports and this day and age, I don't think the parents can actually keep up with them. You know, the, the numbers out in Kilkenny Rugby Club are huge at the moment at both senior youths and many levels. But that's down to the environment you create with good coaching, a fun and safe environment and to keep everybody involved and interested. What you see now is a lot of players, ex-players, uh, returning. With their, with their own children and uh, giving back to, uh, to the club and it's you know it's all starting afresh it's all good it's all good for the club like yeah one of my grandfather's biggest regrets was not getting me involved earlier in rugby considering how big I was <laughs> I, yeah. I only started when I was 20 so um, yeah. no, I, we're seeing a lot of ex-players now coming back and it's, it's absolutely brilliant and they're giving back to the club that has helped them for so many years. Like, you know, it's absolutely brilliant, like, you know. Uh, Great it, to see it. With, with these programmes then, like the ones that are set in place by Leinster to kind of maintain Rugby's challenge on, maybe, to, are you competing with the likes of the GEA and soccer is one of the big, like, to 
take in people? Because they're obviously the country's other bigger sports as well. Yeah, they're, they're the country's other bigger sports. But look, these programs are very important, especially in Kilkenny with the GA being very dominant. But we're doing very well with the support of uh, Kilkenny Rugby Club, Leinster Rugby and Kilkenny County Council in running these programs. You know, there's something like 87 primary schools in uh, Kilkenny and 11 secondary schools. So there's enough room for everybody. And the program that Leinster Rugby have designed is an all-inclusive uh, program and look it complements every other sport as well with their hand-eye coordination skills things these are life skills that they'll, 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 they'll later use like you know and just the, the, the schools in general and the community groups that we work with the the, the, the various different organizations and things like that and the summer camps that we run in the uh, the other uh, the likes of the Father McGrath centers and things like that and we work with uh, the various uh, other bodies, uh, they're do- all doing very well, you know. And say from a Kilkenny perspective, because recently we've seen, say, the likes of Billy Byrne and Ed Byrne and Sean O'Brien from Carlo right, yeah, get to yeah. go on and represent uh, Leinster. In mm-hmm. regards to a Kilkenny perspective, do you think that there are a lot of talented players coming through the ranks in Kilkenny that could go on and, and represent Leinster or indeed any anywhere else? Oh yeah, sure. We yes, we're look. We're very we're, we're very lucky. Over the past number of years, we have had a large array of talent gone through to play at representative level for Leinster and Ireland. The likes of Tim Corkery, who's he was currently in the Ireland squad there at the moment, like as uh, under twenties. Uh, Conan Dunn would have come in through the ranks as well. My own son Ben Devlin, Aid McDonald's, Jake McDonald's, Gary Dunn, Darren McGrath, you O'Brien. The list is endless. The list is endless. And we also have seven, eight players now waiting in the wings in the Southeast uh, Development Squad there as well. And hopefully, uh, once they continue the programme and hopefully get called up into the summer programme, they will go through and, and, and represent uh, uh, the club uh, and themselves as well and their families, which is, which is good, like, you know. And we have former Kilkenny man uh, Peter Leiden playing his trade over in France there as well. That's uh, correct, yeah. So look, look, it's, it's, it's very good. You have, you know, there's, there's some more senior players out there as well. You have the likes of, God rest him, Willie Duggan, uh, uh, Gary Halpin. He's back out coaching the club now as well. He's after moving back to Kilkenny as well. So they're bringing all this experience back into the club. We have Wes Carter there as well. You know, it's the, the, the list is endless. And the amount of talent you see out there, Shane, on a Sunday morning, and with the, in the mini section but you can, you can see these kids develop it's, it's absolutely brilliant they're going to be sublime when they get to, to, at the youth stage like you know when they get to 17, 18, 19 years of age they're just going to be unbelievable like you know they have so many different skill sets to their to their to their service like you know and you're part of a team then I, I take it um, have you been in contact with your team could you say to try and come up with say fresh initiatives to, to grow the sport in the area like what's your yeah, I, yeah, we're, we're part of the southeast uh, CCRO so on, on a weekly basis over a zoom call we're, we're gone famous for these uh, zoom calls we would discuss various different things that we would like to, to do during these challenging times like coaching course and coaching courses and clinics uh, for upskilling and challenging clinics for the kids, safeguarding events and courses by the IRFU spirit officers so that when we do return, we are ready and well prepared. Currently, we're finalising the dates for our very popular uh, Leinster Rugby Summer Camps at the end of July and hopefully that all going well, they'll they'll go through, like, you know, and we also organising... 
uh, with the various local groups to do the summer camps for the various ref, uh, family resource centres and sporting groups and the likes of the Kilkenny Multicats Rind Watershed there on, on, on Monday nights for fun games and a, and a catch-up. No. Uh, what then, because it all sounds great, but obviously being involved in this side of things up, comes up with its challenges, especially considering the, the current predicament that everyone is in. But uh, from an overall general perspective, what do you see as the biggest challenge in growing rugby in Kilkenny? And what is the biggest thing that you're, okay. you, you have going for, you say, in yeah, your efforts yeah. to promote the game? Look, uh, to be honest, Shane, rugby in Kilkenny and in Leinster and in Ireland is in a great place at the moment. Uh, Kilkenny Rugby Club is one of the oldest rugby clubs in the country, formed back there in 1886, and uh, they started playing their first games here out in James's Park before moving to Fugstown. And currently at the moment, we have over 500-plus members uh, from our senior sections down to our, our youths, or minis, uh, and it's just a great environment to be in at the moment. I suppose the biggest thing for us at the moment going forward is that we have a great support network, uh, members, an environment, and dedicated coaches and committee members. And we also are a very well-established club in the community for the past number of uh, years. And all we have to do now is keep doing what we are doing. And suppose if we have to improve, we will improve, but we learn as we go along. And does all these initiatives and challenges that you're setting it out, is it all up on the Kilkenny Rugby page? And like, Do you have to be a member of the club to, to oh, take no, part? No, or? No. I, I, I just put it up on Twitter. It goes out. and uh, I, I would retweet the, the various uh, challenges and then the, the club would retweet it because of their membership to have a, a big following there. And then Leinster Rugby, Leinster Branch would retweet it. KCLR, as you as he have been doing it, been doing it. Kilkenny People's Sport. And it, it's, it's, it's just amazing the way it's after taking off and then uh, the kids would tag me in their videos and then I would pass a comment on the video and just look it's, it's a bit of fun, uh, they're learning a new skill, it's keeping their minds occupied, uh, they're keeping active, they're around their fresh air and that's, that's what it's all about Shane like you know well, we're looking forward to following any more challenges that you have going on. We may get our uh, KCLR sport producer getting involved as well. <laughs> no, no problem at all, Shane. Be very welcome. Uh, no, it's an absolute pleasure, sir, to talk to you. Obviously, we'll be talking to you again and hopefully under better circumstances when we're all back out on a field somewhat. Lovely, Shane. Thanks very much for your time. That's absolute pleasure to talk to you there. last but by no means least while League of Ireland action returns in the tail end of March it might be a while yet before we see soccer action returning locally in Kilkenny and Carlow but it's not to say that there hasn't been a rich history of the sport in the counties Donny Butler is releasing a book looking at the history of football and soccer in Kilkenny dating back to the 1800s and he joined Shane O'Keefe on Scoreline to share his story I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Donny Butler, who is publishing a book and embarking on a major task of compiling the whole history of soccer in Kilkenny. Donny, thanks very much for joining me. Good afternoon, Shane. How are you, sir? As a Kilkenny man and a, a man who's very passionate about his soccer and loves everything soccer and involved in the Kilkenny District League, it'll be fascinating to read the history of how we are at where we are in Kilkenny with soccer. Yes, it's been a long-held ambition of mine to do, to put the, these thoughts on paper. Like uh, I have been involved in the game virtually all my life. Uh, 
from my house in New Park, or our house in New Park, I should say, and actually my parents' bedroom, I could see the soccer grounds at the Comer Road and <laughs> see lads playing in the late 50s, and that's what sort of got me interested in the game. New Park is a great soccer community, had a great run there recently in the Leinster Cup, and we've come up against them many a time, happening to lose in the Divisional Cup Final 4-0 pretty convincingly as well, I might add. But a great soccer community. But football is going back in Kilkenny, back to 1893, and that's what your studies have shown. Um, How did it come about then? Obviously, GEA and Hurling in particular has been a massive component of any Kilkenny man and Kilkenny woman. How did soccer come into the four back in 1893? Well, I'll tell you, Shane, uh, unfortunately at the time, coverage in the newspapers was scarce, but I did come across this morsel that uh, Kilkenny AFC, as they were so-called at the time, played in the Leinster uh, Football Association Junior Cup competition of 1893. And when you bear in mind that the Leinster Football Association was only founded the previous year in 1892, so soccer technically would be one of the oldest strongholds of the game actually in Ireland. And who, what are the type of people that are playing it? I know years ago that rugby had a, a certain classification of people and uh, so would GAA. What type of people were playing soccer and who from the community would have been involved? Well, we can take it pretty pretty much uh, for gospel that in 1893, in all probability, it was likely to have been a team drawn from uh, the military barracks uh, at Ballybuck Street in Kilkenny at that time. Soccer in the outside community, for the want of a better term, was hardly known, uh, even though it was uh, a John McAleary that uh, brought uh, the game uh, from Glasgow to Belfast in uh, the late 1870s. He was on a honeymoon with his wife in Glasgow, and he was smitten with the game when he saw a game uh, played uh, uh, in Glasgow, two teams there, and he invited them to come uh, to Belfast, and he founded Cliftonville, which incidentally was a club mainly built in the nationalist area of North Belfast, around the Ardine, and Cliftonville would be, at the time, associated very much with the nationalist and Catholic community. Well, it's fascinating stuff. It's it's incredible to hear it going back that far, considering like uh, the league wasn't even really properly established back then. And uh, like I know when Shawnee Maguire got his cap for Ireland, it was the first time since uh, Matt O'Mahony of Mullinavat who held this place as an Irish international from Kilkenny, and that's going back to the nineteen thirties. But in that gap between eighteen ninety three to say nineteen thirty, what was happening then in, in in Kilkenny? Was there was there a club or was there cups that they were participating in? Was there a Kilkenny City AFC, so to speak? Oh, I tell you what, uh, I'm very impressed, Shane, with your knowledge of Matt O'Mahony. <laughs> There's a lot of people playing soccer and following soccer in Kilkenny who never heard tell of poor Matt. Uh, Matt was an amazing character. As you say, he came from Mullinavat and he uh, actually ended up playing for Liverpool in 1933 and played with a number of clubs before settling uh, with Bristol, uh, Bristol City in, uh, in, uh, in the English League at the time and made a good career for himself and a living out of it. But prior to that, the first mention in the local uh, media of the day, which uh, was the Kilkenny people, that uh, Kilkenny Celtic was formed in 1911. 
And Kilkenny Celtic would have a lot of the names, surnames, that would be familiar in Kilkenny to this day. The current Des Manning of Manning Travel, his great-grandfather uh, was a, a prominent player and official of the day. And indeed, there's all sorts of Boyles and Murphys and O'Neills mentioned, which would be all local. So uh, I reckon the game at this stage had filtered uh, through to uh, the, uh, the community. And in 1912, the, the first mention of a Kilkenny League being formed and a D.W. Lloyd of the Ormond Road was the first secretary of the Kilkenny League in 1912. But you must remember the background at this time uh, was very much dominated by the political landscape and in the second decade of the 20th century, we had, of course, the Easter Rising, we had the War of Independence, and followed by the Civil War in the it started the third decade. So it wasn't exactly seen by a lot of people as uh, the game of the Gales at the time. And uh, the uh, lads playing the soccer, uh, unfortunately, uh, suffered uh, at the time uh, for playing the game of soccer, uh, but they got by, they survived, and what we call the first native league, as in the formation of the Irish Free State in 1922, the first native Kilkenny League was founded at 19 Parallel Street in uh, uh, Nicholas Navi Walsh's house in uh, Parallel Street in Kilkenny. And from there, the game enjoyed uh, a very healthy period up to the end of the 30s, more or less coinciding with the outbreak of uh, the war, or as, the Second World War, or as we called it at the time, the emergency. And an awful lot of, uh, of uh, the young men at the time enlisted in the Irish National Army for the duration of the emergency. Um, going a small bit back, and you mentioned the Easter Rising, and you mentioned the the War of Independence. But in between those is a pretty significant world event when we're talking about World War One. Now, over two hundred thousand Irishmen served in British forces in that war. Well, I know it's wartime, but would having would that have an effect on, or did it have an effect on soccer at the time when when forces came back from that World War? Obviously, mixing with uh, different. Uh, British people, where soccer is pretty much their main output of sport, it would have that had an yeah. effect on Irish soccer at all? Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of what you call. I don't mean it in the in in the weapon sense, but there was a lot of sniping and there was a a, a lot of name calling and they were considered lesser Irishmen for having joined uh, the British Army at the time. Uh, but having said that, uh, three thousand uh, Kilkenny men. Uh, enlisted uh, for that war and over 800 never returned. Uh, they were killed in action during that war. And as you know, and everybody knows, up until recent times, uh, those people were pretty much uh, ostracised and their families were uh, marked as lesser Irishmen uh, than, uh, than the rest, so to speak. But thankfully, Things like such as the Great War Memorial at uh, John's Key uh, or the Peace Park uh, has, has certainly rectified the scales in that sense, which is great to see. And time has moved on and people have moved on, uh, which is all for the better. Did people then playing soccer then say after the World War and the War of Independence and just knowing the feelings towards any type of uh, anything British, basically, 
would that have had a knockdown effect on lads then wanting to play soccer, say, in Kilkenny? Did it have, was there a negative connotation surrounded by soccer, seen as it is a foreign game? Oh, there was. Uh, they looked, uh, call a spade a spade. There was negative con- connotations, uh, really, until the the uh, the first ban was removed in 1971. That was a real game changer in people's attitudes and all the rest. Uh, like uh, it wasn't overwhelming in terms of uh, the uh, the ban being removed at the time. There was a lot of reluctance to it. But in fairness. Uh, to uh, Tom, uh, Tom Wolfe and the people of the day, the Dublin County Board had presented on umpteen occasions to have the ban uh, lifted and removed that no longer had relevance in Ireland of the day. Uh, but uh, the, the thing that's got to be realised, this ban, for the first... Uh, uh, the GA was founded in Thurles, as we all know, Hayes' Hotel in 1884. And for the first seven, uh, well, 13, 14 years, there was no ban. The ban was only introduced in 1897, but there was three forms of it. There was one, uh, there was a ban for uh, playing the game of soccer, and as such, people were free to play the game of soccer, but when they did, and if then they played in a, in a football or a hurling match, uh, the, their opponents oftentimes... Uh, put in objections or appeals or whatever, and generally it was by teams who had lost the match. So there was a bit of abuse of the, of the thing to suit needs at the time, whereby uh, they would get a replay of the match or sometimes the team be uh, uh, expelled or whatever from the competition and that type of thing. So there was a lot of that going on at the time. And uh, uh, But as I say, the whole country was caught up in the nationalistic fervour of the day. And you could understand some of that, but it lost its relevance an awful lot after the formation of the Irish Free State. And uh, But it took a, a long time subsequently for it being removed. The other ban was in relation to uh, uh, members of uh, the British uh, forces uh, in terms of... Uh, uh, people who had joined that, they were prohibited uh, from uh, uh, being a member of uh, the Gaelic Athletic Association. And these people, uh, these people definitely uh, had a hard, hard, hard time uh, because of this scenario that prevailed both in Northern Ireland and the six counties uh, and also equally so here in the Irish Free State at the time. I often get asked, uh, Shane, why do you you talk a lot about soccer on on Scoreline and on the sports show? And it, it's a massive passion of mine, and it, it's not at the detriment to any other thing that we cover. But you know, soccer is 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 pretty beloved in the two counties. It's when we do articles, it's one of the most read articles, along with the GEA and rugby. You know, it's up there as one of the biggest sports in the country, and we're facilitating that when we talk about. It. When did the initial boom in soccer did you notice happen then? Because you're mentioning that there was a bit of a bad sentiment towards the game being a foreign game, but was there the, a turning point when there was an explosion, say, of soccer that you would have noticed? Yeah, well, very briefly, I sort of took you up to the 30s, and two things happened in the 30s. Uh, a team called Kilkenny City, actually, uh, was uh, formed. Uh, Councillor John Houlihan played a major part in it. Uh, the late John lived on the Castlecomer Road. He was a national teacher in uh, uh, St. Callis's or the Butts School, as he used to call it himself. And uh, uh, it, uh, the acquisition of St. James's Park for their matches was a huge 
uh, boost to the game in the 30s. And a team called Kilkenny United were formed also. And then within that, they had a structure of sort of what they would call uh, local leagues or native leagues. And these other two clubs were used for performing in the FAI Junior Cup or the Leinster Junior Cup as uh, a combined team, so to speak. And that prevailed uh, right up, actually, until the formation of the District League. But another significant thing happened because when the Second World War came, again, uh, because of fuel shortage and everything else, uh, there was... uh, there was a break in the pattern of the league from the previous one that had been founded in 26, and it was reformed in 1948. And it's of that model that the current game has uh, virtually unbroken service uh, of, uh, of soccer in Kilkenny from 1948 right up to the present day. And the people at that time would con down a still hale and hearty, and I still, I said con... Uh, my best wish is a fantastic man for the game of soccer in Kilkenny and I think he won't mind me mention that he's certainly mid-90s if not one or two <laughs> year old at the, at the moment uh, and also Shane uh, uh, Joe Dial who lives on the Waterford Road and uh, these people without these people getting involved in 48 uh, we probably wouldn't be enjoying uh, the game at the level we have it at today from a district perspective then, what were the first clubs to set up? I know Evergreen was 1946, Freebooters, the long rivals as well, another team. What, who were the first teams then to, to come about? And we know that a lot of teams kind of fall and other teams rise from the ashes. The team that I'm currently associated with and will be for the rest of my life is Castle Warren Celtic. And they kind of came from Clifton uh, falling to the wayside a few years ago. We're only in the, since 2014, but obviously there's a legacy set there by other teams. Who were the first teams to kind of register an interest in the league and play in it? Yes, Shane. Well, what happened in actual fact, uh, uh, in 1948, as I say, uh, the the league was reformed on on good, solid foundations. And Evergreen had been apparently playing friendlies for a couple of years before that, uh, uh, circa 46, 47. And Freebooters joined the league in 1950. So they're the two oldest uh, clubs in continuous membership, uh, so to speak. And uh, out of that, what happened was that it went through a bit of a trough period, funnily enough, in 68-69, when uh, uh, combined teams of Kilkenny A and B, uh, Kilkenny A played in the Waterford League, Kilkenny B and the Carlow League, and uh, Evergreen played in the Waterford League. And as I say, there was a very short period, and then... uh, it was. It came back in the shape of actually a southeastern league because um, uh, clubs from a wider area had expressed an interest in uh, joining the new league, but it was Kilkenny based. And out of that, then in 1971, was born the Kilkenny um, District League that we know today. And then from there, then soccer seems to build up, and we get. Kilkenny City and from Kilkenny City you get the likes of Michael Reddy and then you get more of a like I remember being a young lad and I had my Sunderland Reddy jersey I still have it at home um, it, it's a prized possession of mine but it was, it was great to see the Greg Nemanja man go on over to the Premier League I remember his first goal I remember following him along as he played with Grimsby it was just such a, a pleasure to see somebody that you 
knew or you were able to watch live go over and play in the stadium of light in Sunderland and it, it was fascinating to see Kilkenny City itself did that provide more of an avenue for for players to make make a go at? We know Dave Mulcahy enjoyed a, a fantastic run in the League of Ireland and itself had a great career. Uh, Kilkenny City itself, it, we lament the fact constantly that it's no longer around. But when it was here, it, it, it was fantastic, really. Yeah, well, just before that, uh, Shane, uh, what what has happened in the seventies was uh, uh, what I call the mushroom effect of the league, like. Uh, when it started, uh, uh, the KMDL in, uh, in the 71-72, it had one division and approximately 10 teams. And at its peak, it had five divisions and over 50 teams. But another event happened in 1968-69. Con Downey, uh, the doyen of soccer in Kilkenny, formed the School Boys League. And him, uh, uh, Con, along with Brendan Lanergan and uh, Mick Kelly, and uh, a number of others uh, formed school by soccer. And after that, it just took off. But not only in the city, it took off in all of the towns and villages around Kilkenny. Like, the places like, uh, 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 for argument's sake, there was always an interest in Castlecomer. They, they were even back in the old days of the old Kilkenny League, uh, playing under Dean Rovers. But you, ha- you had now soccer in Gregnamana, in Freshford, in Arlingford, in Johnstown, in Tullerone, in Munkine, uh, Gregnamana, uh, all the places you would associate with uh, uh, hurling bases and, uh, and obviously Gaelic football at the time too. But they were particularly... Uh, 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 sports people is what I would like to call them and they all wanted to, to get involved in organising soccer teams so you had all that growth of the game and combined with that then of course you had uh, the, uh, the the league the reorganisation of the league was on such a sound and almost uh, if I say a semi-professional footing in terms of its administration and that uh, type of thing that out of that uh, was born a city club called Empha. And Empha, Empha uh, uh, there were slow burners initially, six, seven years before uh, they got to grips with the junior game. And then uh, within a six-year spell, they won 10 major trophies, as in winning the league, the McCallum Cup and the Shield, uh, the majors, as I refer to them as. And they kicked on from there and uh, they decided... Uh, at that time that they had to go to the next level of the game and they entered the League of Ireland in 1985 and with that initially the first four seasons uh, were probably fairly dominated uh, by the vast majority of their players being drawn from the local base so that brought the game up another level in terms of the locals could aspire to play in that higher level and then of course uh, the club was renamed Kilkenny City in 1989 and uh, then uh, a semi-professional approach uh, came into it whereby uh, uh, players uh, obviously received new remuneration for their efforts and endeavours and uh, they, they actually won the Shield, which you believe was still pretty much an amateur club in 1987, uh, beating... Uh, 
Finn Harps in Oriel Park 4-2, which was unheard of at the time. So you had all the generation of schoolboys who now could see a pathway through to where they wanted to go. And Kilkenny City was a huge stepping stone, first of all, for the junior players to go in and play League of Ireland soccer. But also then, you had uh, the likes of Michael Reddy, who was good enough and ready enough without having to go through the conduits of another League of Ireland club to get to go across channel. And uh, Michael uh, obviously uh, was the, uh, was the, uh, the, the man uh, uh, having that lone voyage to go straight to Sunderland and make his way into the first team at Sunderland. And after Matt Romani obviously become the second Kilkenny man with a gap of uh, virtually 60 years of making it in uh, professional football in England. Well, we could talk about it all day. I'm coming up to the news at five. I Hopefully I could get you back on for a part two, but if, if we can't, I'd love to sit down with you over a pint of plane and have a chat about it as well. But in terms of the book itself, when are you expecting to release it? I believe you're, there's some kind of almost submissions that you're looking and a call to action for people to kind of involved in different parts of the clubs to send over some information, maybe some photos about the, the clubs that they're involved with. Yes, indeed. Uh, what, what I'm asking to, uh, people to do is to get in touch if they have old photographs, uh, uh, the history of the club, the honours they won, the players who got the uh, League of Ireland caps, the players who got international caps, provincial caps, uh, a history of their club to get in touch, to contact us. I have been in touch uh, with all the, of the clubs in the Kilkenny and District League and the book has been published uh, with the imprimatur of the Kilkenny and District League, Shane. Uh, but what I'm particularly keen is to get the, the information on their ground developments. Uh, what the, the lasting legacy of all the efforts of all the people involved in soccer over all the years is the clubs who have gone out there, purchased their own grounds and developed the, their own grounds. And there's 11 clubs who between them now have more or less uh, all-weather pitches, floodlights, car parks, when they didn't hardly have a ditch to change in 50 years ago. Well, it's encouraging to hear Castle Warren Celtic, the team I'm involved in. We're currently looking for a home anyway. So anybody want to give us any land, we'll gladly take it. But uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Donny, and we'll put that information out on our scoreline.ie website and we'll put the interview if you're only catching the tail end of it. And hopefully we'll have you on again soon and we can chat uh, more in depth about the Kilkenny City League of Ireland dalliance and where we can look ahead we know that we're still producing players the likes of Ellen Malloy who is playing with Wexford Utes Irish International Tom O'Connor who's currently at Gillingham on loan from Southampton of course Shawnee Maguire as well so lots of players still playing their trade over across the the pond but uh, thanks very much for taking the time sir and uh, hopefully you have a great great end to the weekend and th- thank you Shane and one final thing just to get in touch uh, stonyfordnews at gmail.com Perfect and as I said we'll put that up on the scoreline.ie website Once again Donny, thanks very much for taking the time It's been my pleasure Shane and thank you 
there you go there's some of the highlights from Scoreline on KCLR this weekend you can catch the live show every Saturday and Sunday from 2 o'clock you can email sport at kclr96fm.com to share your thoughts you can read all the articles every day of the week online at scoreline.ie and you can subscribe to this podcast Scoreline Extra on Spotify Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts or wherever you do your podcast listening and if you can't get enough of your sporting podcasts and you want more we've got you covered at scoreline.ie you can also find The Clash Act our GAA podcast the latest episode of which sees Eddie Scally in conversation with former Galway all-star hurler Eugene Clunan all things MMA recently caught up with Pat Dively to talk all things wellness and Ken and Shane are getting stuck into life in the Argentina Primera League in the Football Manager Football Show with new episodes out every Friday this has been Scoreline Extra we'll do it all again next weekend